Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosso. It gives me great pleasure now to welcome to Viewpoints, Margaret Harley, an education specialist with a focus and qualifications in the area of special education, literacy, and an intriguing area called threefold therapy for learning, something we will we'll touch on later in the interview. But firstly, welcome to Viewpoints, Margaret Harley. Thank you so much, Henry. My pleasure. Now, Margaret, um, education specialist, you've had quite a, a long career, a, a distinguished career in education. Um, what led you to that as a career in the first place? Well, I, I suppose when I was young, I didn't know what to do. And being a country person, uh, we just all went off to um, teachers' colleges. And uh, we all just did that mainly. And... Um, but, and that I always had a love for children and um, eventually when I did go through uh, my usual uh, qualifications of ending in the classroom, I always felt very um, sorry for the, the underachieving child. Mm. And after having four children, I started to go back to um, teaching and I was working uh, as an integration aide to get back into the field and I was working with an intellectually disabled child and felt very, very dissatisfied that I couldn't seem to be able to do more with this child. So then I went on and did special education and, and literacy. But I finally ended up at, um, in, a, in the Steiner stream and I did two years of um, Steiner training and that completely changed my outlook in how to approach a child. Because you had a holistic approach. It doesn't, wasn't an intellectual approach. You started to look at the, the emotional aspect of the child, um, the energy, how the child operates during the day with their energy levels. And then more so after that, you become very, very concerned with the intellectual development. And that changed my life completely And in looking at education. And I went on further and thought, wanted to think out, now how do we can do more for the child? And discovered how particularly aspects of movement can change the brain. And that was just absolutely a mind-opening experience for me. Mm. And um, one of the first questions that, that, that get raised, as always, and I presume this is where you sought some answers in the Steiner stream, and that is, why do some children struggle to learn and others don't, uh, Margaret? What's one of the, or some of the reasons? Well, one of the basic reasons that the children don't um, learn to read is because the very first area of the brain which is called the brain stem, is not fully um, de developed to its, its uh, maximum. There, there have um, a lot of blocks occur in this area, right down at the very bottom of the brain. And at the very bottom of this brain, or the brain stem, which is developing in the first 15 months of the child, a lot of things can go shall we say, astray. Mm. So in, in what way can, can go, what things can happen that can then hinder a child's potential to learn, especially in those early years? Well, one of the, the main areas that the brainstem uh, works with is called the, the reflexes. And we have specific reflexes 
that gets the child from a horizontal position to a vertical position. And uh, once the job is done, and there's about 10 or 11 reflexes, and once they've done their task, they should go. Like one of the first reflexes is the startle reflex. You drop a baby and they'll mm-hmm. throw their arms out. Now, if that reflex doesn't doesn't um, get loosened from this brainstem, quite a few problems to the child. They'll always be startled. They'll always be affected by light. But there are something... We test eight of these reflexes, and they must all be um, removed or reduced. And when they don't, they have an enormous impact on the central nervous system as it is then very, very immature. Um, And a lot of our children have a very, very immature central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And this actually stops their, their actual capacities to learn. Now, one of the most amazing cases I've had was a boy who was in the classroom. He was grade three. And he was an average reader and the teacher in school, they weren't concerned about his progress. They thought he was doing very well. But his mother knew that there was something not quite right. There's something she knew that her child could have better capacities. So she came to me and we started work and she continued with the program, which is, goes over 40 sessions. And he left going, and he had increased in his reading capacities. But two years later, after they finished the work, because the work keeps on increasing because um, we work in such a holistic way, that he is, was uh, accepted into the gifted program at Year 7 level. That's that's quite amazing. Now, just getting back to the reflexes for a moment, I think the answer to the question probably lies in part what you've just said, but what's their relevance to learning uh, and what's the evidence for that? There's a lot of evidence. There's the um, Dr. Jean Ayres, who is the mother of um, occupational therapy, and Sally Goddard, who is an enormous researcher in this area, they have written many, many books on how the um, reflexes affect learning. Now, if you have a um, lack of integration between the left and the right-hand side of the body, in other words, the left-hand side of the body hasn't developed, one of the things that you won't be able to do is, is handwrite because your eye-hand coordination um, stops the handwriting from being neat and often there will be a very very immature um, grip now the instead of work walking um, in a cro- marching in a cross lateral pattern a lot of the children will be marching with just the same side of the body the left foot with the left mm. arm and the right foot with the rough right arm um, another thing they can't do is track They can't track as they read, so they'll lose their place, which is often a major reason why the children get very frustrated when they're reading because their eyes cannot follow the lines. They can't put their ideas on paper. 
Now, I had a student from a um, special school, an autistic um, girl, and she uh, was not able to put any words together even into a sentence. But after um, the program, after quite a few, um, lots of sessions over a couple of years, she was able to actually just start to write her ideas on on um, on her stories that she had in her head. Mm. Now we talk about retained reflexes, uh, which is yep. the, I guess the, the the opposite to reflexes that are, are not learned properly. Um, how do they affect learning? Having them retained, they 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 cause an immature um, central nervous system. There's, so there are a lot of blocks that stop the messages getting through from the senses to the brain. And that's major. And there are, we test eight reflexes. And out of the reflexes that I test, at least three or four are retained. And one of the most common ones retained is the crawling. A lot of our children cannot crawl. They're often um, bum shufflers or, or just have unusual ways of getting across the floor. Mm. Now, if they have this reflex, it's called the symmetrical tonic neck reflex. If that is retained, they have very poor eye-hand coordination and they have difficulty copying from the blackboard to their paper. They cannot swim. A lot of the children have very poor swimming abilities. They cannot track, they cannot copy tasks. Homework is a nightmare. A lot of our children, they cannot do their homework and they're very, very dependent on their mum. And they, um, they have that many avoidance techniques that is very stressing for the parents. Um, they have poor um, hand-mouth coordination. They're messy eaters. They're clumsy children. They have poor muscle tone. In other words, they can't stand up properly. They slouch a lot and they can't concentrate because they can't sit on one spot for a long time. And that's just from one reflex. And that's the inability to crawl, to crawl because this reflex that has been retained and it stops this learning process at that particular time. Fascinating, Margaret. We need to take a short break. Can you hold the line? Yes. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. I'm in a discussion with Margaret Healy, education specialist, uh, and we're talking about the children who slip through the cracks uh, of their learning and, and they're real strugglers, and uh, we're looking at it from the perspective of um, how they have, uh, in, their, in their early days, their brain development is so linked to so many, uh, in a holistic way, physical uh, behaviours. Margaret, welcome back. Thank you. Now, the sense of balance. Now, we all have PMP, perceptual motor programs. We, we yes. do all sorts of things in schools. Um, does that make sense in terms of the importance of balance in learning? Balance is very, very critical. 
Um, there's a, this is linked up to the inner ear, and it has um, and this gives you your spatial orientation in uh, in your environment. Like I think, have you ever seen clumsy children? who trip a lot, fall over, and not very good at sport. Mm -hmm. All the time. Well, this is because this um, balance system is not not working at its capacity. And in fact, the balance system is the unifying system as it primes the entire nervous system to work effectively. It's like the wake-up call to the brain. It, it wakens it up. And, and, and um, it, if this doesn't wake up the brain and if it doesn't unify the whole system to function effectively, you have so many problems um, with children. Mm. Um, they have trouble with their left and right. They're knowing which is left and which is right, knowing where the front space is and where the back space, and having trouble knowing where the above space is and where the below space is. Mm. Which leads us into the topic of midlines and, yes. their, and their value. Yes. Now, midlines are, are what divides our body into, as I just mentioned, left and right, above and below, and the front and back space. Now, if you can't cross the back and front line that developed from birth to 2.5 years, you have, you cannot, you'll have a lot of trouble doing basic gross motor skills, language skills, and fine motor skills. Now, the above and the below midline, that develops between two and a half years and four years. And if you have... Um, trouble with this midline or, or it's still inhibiting um, its development, then you, um, you have a, a lack of awareness of the left and right and your eyes and hands cannot cross this midline and you have a lot of trouble in riding a tricycle or a bicycle. Now I often have one of the most common complaints that parents have is the children can't ride their bikes. True. They're always falling off their bikes. And I had a family come to me with two, their two boys. One was in, one was about grade, uh, grade one, six year old, and the other was grade two. Never been out on the fa- on a bike ride with the family. About eighteen months later, they were all riding their bikes together. Now, this is the um, also the language centre should be establishing itself at this time. Now, the last midline is the left and the right midline, and this is developed between five and eight, and this is a critical time because this is the stage of development when the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain need to be working together. And that's when the intellectual capacities can take place, when these two sides are working together really well. And if these are not working together... They affect the writing and drawing, they affect the reading, and they affect, affect a cross-lateral pattern. Mm, quite powerful. Now, you mentioned the emotional brain. Uh, now, that's a different uh, aspect to our, our development, uh, our cognitive mm. development. How does it relate to learning? 
The emotional brain is a is a, a very little a stage after the brainstem, and all the emotional capacities of the child is processed here, and it links the body to the brain so that you get rational thinking. Now, a lot of our children are irrational in their thinking. You cannot reason with them. They become totally um, stressed and, and um, fixed in a thought. So mm. if we can work... So the emotional brain is so important to, to get, have rational thinking and, it is, and that is linked up to our academic learning. Mm, there's a lot, a lot in there. I guess at the end of the day, uh, in the classroom, you've got a classroom full of kids, as teachers mm. do in mainstream schools. How do you know when the kids are able to absorb information versus when they're not? Because a lot of them, as you'd know, Margaret, um, they can they can look as though they're engaged, but they're not. <laughs> That's right. One of the classic comments I ever got was, "The lights are on, but nobody's home." Yeah, that's a classic. I think we've all at different times heard it in reference to ourselves <laughs> over the journey. When a child has gone through all these stages, say we've gone through the full, full development of the um, brainstem, we've gone through the full development of the emotional brain, and then we've gone through the different stages of the intelligent brain, which is the left and right hemisphere, when all those things, all that has integrated and you don't have all these in the, in the assessments, you don't find all these disparities, then your child will be able to work through and work on with the capacities they have to whatever level that they want to. Mm. And, you'll, and, the, and when parents come to say, oh, my, my child's doing homework now, Oh, my child has gone from level one, and sometimes I have children who do not even come anywhere near the standard school, to reading readers at or below, just below, or even going ahead of their level. That's when you know that the brain is functioning, to mm. it's starting mm. to be at its capacity. So in a nutshell, Margaret, what are the key things that uh, we're not doing that we should be doing uh, in order to capture the best potential for all of our children? Today we have a lot of children with ADD, Asperger's, uh, autism, and, um, and also a lot of allergies. And what we need to do is to make sure that their food is um, very high standard. They have lots of good food. And we also need to have a, a movement. And, uh, and with the programs, with the, um, all the research shows that there are specific movements that a child must have a lot of movement. That's how they wire up the brain. And so we need to have a lot of um, educational programs, uh, music in the school, art, all those essential um, basic um, uh, curriculum needs, but as well as that, when the child is not operating as well, you, there must be a program with specific therapeutic exercises 
so the child can catch up on these developmental stages. Mm, good point. Margaret, time's got away from us. We, we've certainly enjoyed it and I'm sure there's a lot of food for thought there. Uh, are you hopeful that uh, we can make progress? Absolutely. You have to be. Absolutely. Up. I've had hundreds of students. Um, some of them have gone on to university. They've gone on to the masters. I've had um, some students who, one particular was a little girl who was a socially social isolated school, and was elected school captain captain in grade six. So there's so much potential for children when there is a really a highly um, well-researched program for movement taking can take place in the school. Absolutely. Um, that, uh, and the more that we can reach, the better. That was Margaret Healy, educational specialist, uh, and she focuses on special ed and those children who slip through the cracks and uh, in mass education, mainstream education, uh, sadly, as uh, and I've been in the profession a long time, uh, despite our, our best efforts, too many still do. There may well be some, uh, some value in having a look at uh, these alternative methods. 